0: The sixth, though, here's a couple of passages, a couple of scriptures out of Proverbs chapter 6. I couldn't just do with one. So starting in verse 20, good friend, follow your father's good advice. Don't wander off from your mother's teachings. Wrap yourself in them from head to foot. Wear them like a scarf around your neck. Look at this picture. Your mother and your father's sound counsel. Put it on like clothing. Wrap yourself. Uh, Verse 22, wherever you walk, they'll guide you. Whenever you rest, they'll guard you. When you wake up, they'll tell you what's next. For sound advice is a beacon. Good teaching is a light. Moral discipline is a life path. Don't you see why I love Proverbs? It's great. Let's pray um, over God's word today. Lord, as we as we would open your word today and consider um, ourselves, and Lord, allow you to search our hearts and to enlarge us. God, we pray. And we know, we know that your word will never return void. It promises that. So, Lord, we, we thank you for the fact that we can walk and carry your word with us and that, L- Lord, we now make ourselves available to what it is you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in um, part three of um, a series I've been doing about um, how we're to love our neighbors. And um, I didn't pick the easy topics. You know, the really wonderful next-door neighbor who bakes cinnamon rolls and brings them in the morning... It's easy to love her, right? Those have not been our topics. We, we started the first time we talked about the issues of racism, and, um, it, and it's a problem. It's, I think it's a problem for everybody at some level. We talked about the Good Samaritan story, and, and we talked also last time about adopting, about parenting, and um, next time we, we're going to talk about relational poverty. I'm going to talk about people who are lonely. So um, that'll be good. I'm, I think I'm looking forward to where the, where the Lord's going to take us. Today I want to talk to you um, about an issue that I think happens a lot. You see a lot of people in need, and uh, you see a lot of people who we would maybe say are, are poor. And And I think this is down in our hearts that we want to make a difference. You know, we, we want to help people... Um, we want to help empower people in some way, but we don't really always know how to do it. I want to talk to you today about uh, how to love our neighbors, how to provide real help for the poor. And, and maybe, um, you know, you, you've come in today and you're personally really struggling right now. And, um, or maybe you're in really good condition. Uh, maybe, maybe you're thinking, oh, well, I'm doing fine today, but I'm just one pink slip away from disaster in my household. And I just want to say, start right now by telling you that worrying isn't going to help you. Worrying doesn't do any good. So I'm, I'm thinking about this topic. This is kind of a heavy topic, and I'm not mature enough to handle it, and you can tell that by the, what's going to happen next because one of the first things I did in my study was um, get distracted by um, putting a phrase into Google, I'm so broke that, okay? And you can never guess what comes up. If you Google, I'm so broke, things start coming up. I thought I'd just share a couple of them with you. Is that all right? You're going to have to smile a little bit, okay? So um, I'm so broke. Here's here's one. I'm so broke that my baloney has no first name. You have to be over 40 to get that. You do. Okay, if you don't get that, you know, sorry. It has a last name. Does anybody know what the last name is? Meyer. Okay, good for you. Okay. All right. How, How about this one? I'm so broke, when I take my wife out for lunch, we go to Costco to the sample aisle. It's actually pretty good food. And my wife thinks it's a date, so I'm, you know. I'm so broke, I can't even pay attention. I'm so broke, my pants are so thin, if I put a dime in my backseat, I can tell if it's heads or tails. I'm so broke, my cat ran away to the dog pound. There was a cat coming. I'm so broke, I go to KFC to lick other people's fingers after they eat. (laughs) that's terrible okay (laughs) so here's the thing here's the thing though money can't buy happiness but neither can poverty and so um the reality is that there are a lot of people um maybe in this room and certainly around us and around you and where you live where you circulate that are struggling and maybe some of you would, would just say, you know, I'm in a pretty deep hole right now, and I, I don't know what to do. Or maybe somebody you know who lives close to you or is near and dear to your heart is, is unemployed. And how do we respond to need? How do we empower people that are in need in a way that would honor Christ? How do we do that? And uh, we're going to explore that a little bit today. Today, um, there was a passage, you'll find this passage, and we're not going to spend too much time there, um, in Matthew 25, where Jesus is actually having a dialogue, and he's sharing with his listeners about what's going to happen when he returns. And he starts describing this scenario, and he makes this comment. He says, I will separate mine, the sheep, from those that are not mine, the goat's. And he goes on and he starts talking about what he's going to say. And he has this conversation, a couple of different conversations with those two different groups of people. And I, I think uh, I'm going to take you not on a rabbit trail today. We're going to go a little bit on a sheep trail, if that's okay. It's the same thing with a different animal. Um, interesting, it's interesting that Jesus would use that kind of imagery. Why did he use the image of sheep for the righteous, for his people? By the way, they're righteous Because of him, not because of them. But why would he use the imagery of a sheep and and the imagery of a goat? Well, okay, so a little bit of information for you about sheep and goats. Um, I I think that this imagery would have made perfect sense in their culture because those animals were all around them. Okay, And, And there were some funny things about sheep and goats. Many people would own both, and they would allow their sheep and their goats to mingle together during the daytime. But... If they were going to travel with them, and at night, they would separate them, and they would be separated because the sheep would understand and hear the shepherd's call, his own unique sound or whatever words he would use, they would know the shepherd's voice and would go towards it. That's the sheep, not the goats, not the goats. Sheep are... um, are gentle and they're quiet and they're very easily led animals. Goats are a little bit different. They're pushy, they're 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 self-sufficient, they're kind of headstrong animals. Um, and and other, some some other things about sheep. Um, there are many varieties that are naturally pulled or 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 have their horns removed, pulled but they don't have, you know, they don't have bumpers up on top. And a lot of goats, in fact, most goats are naturally horned, and those horns come off of a hard forehead. And they use them to bump and grind and to dominate and rear up and smack, in order to enforce their dominance. It's quite a quite a different picture. Goats are naturally quarrelsome animals. <laughs> they are, you know, they have short tempers. They're more aggressive. They tend to rear and butt, you know, and, and uh, kind of crack heads. And um, and and unlike sheep, if you do have a more tame goat, if you if you uh, if you just allow it to, it it will. Very easily re- revert back to more aggressive tendencies, so you 've got to kind kind of work them. Um, goats, goats browse. Sheep, sheep have a, have a tendency to um, just go along and graze. You know, they 'll go along the, gr- the ground and they 'll graze. Goats are browsers. they 'll eat lig- bi- twigs and branches and tennis shoes and whatever. But because, they're, because they do that, they tend to wander more as they explore what they're going to eat, so they 're out wandering. They wander away from the shepherd. And goats are just not easily herded. Sheep are very easy to, to lead because they'll stay as a group. Goats, they want to go their own way. They don't want to deal. And ancient people, these people that, that Jesus was talking to, they would have understand this imagery, and, and people back then kind of drew moral an- uh, analogies from the habits of sheep and goat. Um, sheep were these... They were viewed as these quiet, intelligent um, animals. They were submissive, but they were very persistent, but submissive. Um, They they tended to arrange themselves in a herd. And the male sheep are very, very protective. If there was danger around, the males would would literally surround the females and the young and protect them. Goats, a little bit different. They'd be more stubborn. More destructive, you know, if they were left unattended. And, and they do not protect the females from other males. In fact, um, they had the, the, the word or the name goat was considered at the time of Jesus a very derogatory term for a man whose wife was unfaithful. The suggestion was the man would not protect his marriage. You're a goat. It's a very derogatory term, and and in, in their in the Greek culture, um, goats symbolized the very loose morals of several of the lesser gods. Pan and and uh, Pan is the you you've probably seen p- images of Pan. Pan was a kind of a man with a, the legs of a goat and horns on his head. And many times you and I will see that imagery suggestive of maybe what Satan looks like. I don't think that's accurate, but. But that but goats were associated with Pan and, and another Greek god named Bacchus, who was the god of wine and intoxication, and another Greek god named Aphrodite, who was a goddess of love and promiscuous pursuit of pleasure. Um, ghosts just were not very well respected. And so Jesus has picked these two animals to talk about his people and those who are not his people. And... He says, here's what he's saying. He's saying in that day, he's going to talk to his people, his sheep. And, he's, and um, he's going to say, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was cold, you gave me clothes. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And these, when, when Jesus is telling the story, he talks about his sheep, hearing those things and kind of being confused. Lord, when did we feed you? When did we run into you and find you thirsty and give you water? When, when did we come and visit you in the hospital? And here's what Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 40. He says this. Whatever you did for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He's telling us, and we need to actually understand that when we care for somebody out there, we are absolutely ministering to Jesus. To Jesus. That's... Uh, that's how special it is for us to be able to make a difference for people that we run into. Um, and that, maybe I think that's why maybe Proverbs 19:17 says this. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. You're literally serving God by serving people who are in need. And I find it fascinating that, that, that God has chosen to say that we are lending to him. You can study that out, and i 'm not going to go down that rabbit trail today, other than to say that that there are, there are other scriptures that talk about the relationship between the borrower and the lender, and when you lend to God, that has some amazing possibilities if you study that out i 'm not going to go there right now as much as i 'm tempted and first john three seventeen and eighteen of this scripture can stun us, and it can you know it, it, it just can. Um, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's really strong language. And he goes on to say, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions in the truth. Now, here's what I want to just give you a quick disclaimer so that you will listen to the things I have to say. Now, I am not about to tell you that every time you pull up to the on-ramp If you don't shove $20 bill out to the guy with the cardboard sign, you don't know God. I'm not telling you that, and I don't believe that Scripture teaches that. I'm going to talk about the cardboard sign a little bit, but I want you to relax, because that's not what I think the words words teach here. I I think, um, you know, Lisa and I, of course, circulate around, and we've run into that, and there have been a couple of times, um, I'll just share a couple, We were downtown Seattle and walking along, and there is a serious panhandling problem in downtown Seattle, and it's been there a very long time. And there are a lot of aggressive people that are begging and pushing. And there are a lot of clever people. I mean, a lot of people in need up there and um, a lot of broken people on the streets. And um, I've had multiple reactions in my heart. Some of them have been righteous, and some of them I'm not... Proud of, and I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Just to tell you, I've not always reacted well. I'm going to tell you about a couple where I feel like I did, not to present myself as some sort of moral example to you. I'm just going to be transparent. There was at least one time where there was a fairly aggressive person, and my reaction was this to my wife, who's not a stool, but I'm going to use a stool. (laughs) My wife, um, I could see he was pursuing, his begging was going to be directed at her, and I did one of these things, and I said, back up. That was my reaction one time to a guy who was broken and in need. And it was the right reaction. I needed to be the sheep that surrounded the, the females, right? Okay. Then there was another time, completely different time, where um, there was something going on in my heart, different, and somebody was being pushy. And I said, you know what? Come with me. Let's go right in there, and I'll get you a meal. His answer was, I don't want that. I want cash. I said, I know that's what you want, but what you need is food. Well, no, I want cash. And I said, you and I both know what you're going to do with that cash. I'm not giving you any money. Well, then I don't want your help. And that was the most honest thing he could say. It was really true, and I said, okay. Now, I didn't walk away from there feeling smug and self-satisfied. I, I, I walked away from there thinking I was willing to do good and help him if it was real help, but I was not going to allow myself to feel some sort of guilt manipulation if I didn't give him what he was demanding, that I was this person. Because that guy even said to me, are you a Christian? Yeah. Well then, you need to help me. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> so I refuse to allow my heart to be held somehow manipulated and, and hostage to a twisting of God's word. The thing is that we see people like that and they're all over and maybe you'll even have inside knowledge about the person you see on the street corner with the cardboard sign. And it's real easy to get your heart all justified about that. Uh, that's not good. That's not good. So we're just not going to say, oh, somebody should do something, and maybe we'll do that. But here's the thing. God calls us. God calls the church to love other people. Right. He calls us to something that doesn't come easy. And... Um, he it, it, it just calls it that. So how do we do this? I, I know you care. I watch the way you minister to me. I mean, I know you care and we want to do something, but there are times we just don't know what to do. How should I, how should I help? How do I do it? How do I get this right? Because, you know, we might struggle and we see some really clever signs out there. How do we know what's real help? And even in some communities that are really struggling trying to deal with problems of panhandling, um, this last sign is a picture I took of, um, of a street post down in Aberdeen. I know that both Centralia and Chehalis have in the last couple of years passed ordinances to prohibit panhandling. and This is a problem that our culture is struggling with. There are places in Seattle it's absolutely unsafe to walk around. And... It, you know, there are places in Portland. I was down there recently and um, in a kind of a residential neighborhood that was just off of an arterial. And in the planter strip, which is between the sidewalk and the curb, okay, you know what I'm talking about? There's a house, a sidewalk, a little grass area that's maybe this wide, and then the street. Well, the grass area, that planter strip, is part of the city right of way. And there was something going on with the city ordinances there, which made those areas fair game. <laughs> So in neighborhood areas where people had their houses and their children playing and so forth, there were, there were tents in the planter strip. Our, our culture is messed up trying to figure out how to deal with this problem. And well-meaning, big-hearted people are trying to figure this out. We, I, you know, we, we, we look at this, and, and to get this really right, we've got to somehow dial our hearts up and say, God, okay, help check this right here that's where this is going to start for me because if i'm going to be available i got to have a right heart about this and so to do that i think it helps for us to start maybe at ground zero what what is poverty what is poverty i mean now i'll tell you this i very very rarely ever plug any books here i'm just going to mention this book i'm not going to cram it down your throat i mean this one i've is the one I plug, right? Um, but every once in a while I'll read a book that's on a topic that is, I think helpful. And there's one out there. It's called, um, when helping hurts, then has a subtitle when helping hurts, how to alleviate poverty without hurting the poor. Okay. You can find it if you, if you, if you're interested in it later, it's a great book that talks about the inadvertent ways that big hearted people try to help, but they actually cause harm when they do that. And, um, I think, I think if you ask most Americans, to answer that question, what is poverty? Here's what most Americans would say. I think that most Americans define poverty as a lack of something material. Pretty straightforward. That's what most of us would say. What's poverty? We'd say, oh, it's income below a certain level, or it's we don't have um, enough money, we don't have access to clean water, we don't have health care. You know, if you ask a 14-year-old, I don't have an iPhone, you know, I mean, I, it's... But most Americans would say that poverty is a lack of something material. On the other hand, social scientists did some studies, and they surveyed over 60,000 people from um, developing countries, poorer countries. And they talked to them about um, how they lived and what they considered poverty to be. And the conclusion from the study... And I've got a few of the words that came out of the study, but the conclusion was that The truly poor define poverty as a mindset. A mindset. A condition of the heart. A condition of thinking. Seems pretty crazy. They didn't say that poverty was they were lacking something. They didn't say poverty was I can't buy the right jeans. They said it was the way they think. And there, as you read through the responses and the study and the conclusions, there are certain words that come up over and over and over again. Um, there, was, there was very commonly among people who considered themselves a part of poverty a very deep sense of shame. I, I'm so ashamed. I can't get out of this hole, and I don't know what to do, and I, I, don't, I can't make it out of this. Another, another one was a very deep sense of worthlessness, powerlessness, humiliation, a, de- a, a sense of dependency. Dependency and a sense of fear. You know, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know how I'm going to ever get out of this. I don't have any hope to get out of this. It's, 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 it's It's a mindset. It's more than just a lack of something material. And when we want to help someone who is really struggling, we have to understand that it's not enough just to give them some sort of immediate relief to get them through the day. We need to help change the way that they think, to help their mindset change from a sense of hopelessness to a hope that God will be my provider and that the Lord has my tomorrows in his hands and in his heart. And we want to give, when we do give to people, we want to give in a way that helps them, not in a way that hurts. And the problem, I think, part of the problem in North America, and we see this by the way our, our, our culture is, is trying to fix the problem, is we think we know what helps. We do. We think we know it helps, but we often give in a way that hurts. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, and I'm, you know, the names are changed to protect the innocent kind of thing. I won't tell you the details, but I know a mission team that went to, um, <laughs> went, went to the mission field. And they planned it in advance, and they thought it through in advance. And part of what they did was they were taking with them boxes and boxes of T-shirts that had printed. They were cool T-shirts, and they were just going to give them away to the children in this village they were going to big deal and it was a big scene they get there and kids are lined up cool free shirts and the kids were blast and they loved it and the mission team found out on the third day that there happened to be three women in this little village who make and sell t- not t-shirts but shirts and the introduction of all of these free t-shirts flooded the market and killed their business And a right-hearted attempt just to bless a bunch of kids. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? Undermined what these three people did for their livelihood. Here's another one. Um, Now, this one, I'll give you more specifics. And um, I'm going to talk about this because this is my failure. There was a failure in this that I feel still today. It feels like a gut punch when I think about this. But I'm going to share it with you so you can kind of get this picture. You know, the last church I was a pastor at, at Living Water, a big church, and um, we did a lot of stuff in the holidays. And at one point, we took a real swing at um, adopting a family for Christmas kind of a deal, right? Adopting a family. So we would identify, we allowed people to, um, to say, hey, here's a family in need or we're a family in need, and people could either self-enroll or enroll someone else in this, this deal. And the idea would be that then, okay, we would say to the church, hey, there are families in need, Adopt a family, and you could decide to do it if you wanted, and you could do what you felt. So we would give you the details, and um, you know there were people. Some people went whole hog. Um, I mean, they bought Christmas tree and decorations and baskets of food, and they knew how many kids were in the families, and they bought gifts that were individual. I mean, it was a big deal, and I was really pleased watching what happened. It was really overall a very good ministry but i saw and i saw people all the way across the spectrum invest themselves i saw people with a lot of money do something and i saw people with hardly anything just blow the doors off a thing and go crazy to bless somebody even though their family was really without it just was very cool though to see the whole overall thing and and I, as a leader i always have two motives i want to Bless people out in the community. I want them to see the love of Jesus. I want to, you know, bless people. The other motive is I want to see what happens to God's people when they will allow themselves to be used by the king to make a difference because that's profound. It's a big deal. It's really cool. Anyway, so I'm sitting back and kind of glowing and basking in, in the success of this whole thing, and I, I have this inadvertent conversation with this guy in, on a Sunday after church. Hey, how'd it go? And he didn't light up and smile. Now, this was a guy whose family was financially really on the edge. They could barely, you know, they were getting along, but it was pretty tight. But they, he was raising his family to be generous, even though they didn't have anything. How'd it go? Well, I just don't know if we'll ever do that again. It really, it didn't go that well. Now, I'm thinking, well, what happened? What happened? He said, well, we, um, my kids got all excited. We were just thinking about, you know, and we talked about it as a family, and we decided we were going to sacrifice our Christmas to make Christmas a big deal for some other family, for this other family. We didn't know them. So we got our stuff together, you know, whatever they got, the food, the, the gifts, the decorations, and when they, they, they were going to deliver it to the family themselves, which was an option people could do. And this guy wanted to see his his children to participate in caring for somebody. And when they arrived at this place, it was pretty obvious to them that the family that they were caring for had a whole lot more than they had. And when they gave these gifts, the family seemed indifferent. And dad was confused, and the kids were confused, and dad was thinking, oh, I just did a terrible job of leading my family. I brought them to the... They were going to learn from this. Their hearts were going to be bigger, and now they're confused, and they're a little bit brokenhearted. And when he told me this story, and what I'm telling you right now, I just want to go crawl into a hole. I just... There are times, well-intended, right-hearted, that giving away something to someone really isn't the right thing to do. And when do you know what to do? And I, okay, so I don't want to spend a long time on this topic except to say that, you know, as a pastor, you know, I got to f- have those experiences and learn from that and go, okay, if I ever do something like this again, I've got to vet this more carefully um, and make sure that, because we, you know, whatever. You, do you get the picture, though? I, I'm, I'm still in a quandary. I, I'm still upset thinking about this. This has been a long time ago, like at least 15 years ago. And, I'm, and, and I don't want to be gun shy as a leader. And I don't want people to be gun-shy about caring for people. I just don't want to be. But it's easy to go there. It's really easy. easy. Now, I believe about that that, that circumstance that God absolutely honored that family that made that choice to sacrifice. God rewarded them. I'm just, whatever the father was hoping for that would happen in his children, I'm sure it happened two or three times as bigger and wider and deeper that he thought would happen from that holy. Because I know God honors that. I know God has, God has, And God does not want to hurt people. He didn't want the people in the village hurt by the T-shirts, and he doesn't want to hurt you when you allow yourselves to participate in something and be his hands to care for somebody. So I learned a hard lesson, I think, as a leader that time at the expense of this poor family. And, um, you know, I, I just learned, though, that r- giving away resources, giving away help, giving away gifts isn't always helpful and sometimes it's hurtful and our challenge is to when that happens to keep our hearts tender to keep them tender when you've made a mistake or when you've been taken advantage of keep your heart tender and i really think that the reason we need to keep our hearts tender is that i believe that all poverty is a result of some form of brokenness Something's broken somewhere. I'm not telling you that people who, who are in financial poverty are broken people. I'm just telling you all poverty is a form of brokenness. I'm going to develop that a little bit. Stay with me here, okay? Don't get mad at me. Don't throw stuff at me quite yet. Save that for later, okay? All of us are broken in some kind of way. The root of every type of poverty is, 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 is somewhere in brokenness. And there are different kinds of poverty. You know, it's not just... You know, another type is relational poverty. I I, I think it starts with a broken relationship with God. It's, you know, Adam and Eve sinned against God and relationship was broken, it was tainted by sin. Therefore, I think some people are without because they, they don't have a relationship with God and they're without peace and they're without hope. Even though they're pursuing those kind of things, so there's relational poverty. Another kind of poverty that we don't tend to consider too much is poverty with self. People that look at themselves and, and, and they've got terrible sense of the, any possibility that God will use them or can use them or bless them. You know, they don't recognize that they've been shaped in the image of God, and that 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 us kids of the Lord have access to the very power. That resurrected Jesus from the dead. We don't realize that. Instead, we say to ourselves, "We don't have what it takes," and you know, I I, I don't have takes my, makes myself better, my family better, and so I'm hopeless. And all I do. And another kind of poverty is in relationship, broken relationships. You know, happens in two ways. You have a need in your life, but you know, you're you're just too ashamed to ask somebody for help. The relationship doesn't quite. The currency of the relationship doesn't quite make you feel safe enough to do that and another one is the other side of that spectrum you know you have you could meet somebody's need but you're too self-absorbed in your own stuff going on to slow down and to sacrifice and to give away something i mean that, that that's all because of broken relationships and when we we could serve one another but we don't do it relational poverty brokenness with ourselves broken relationship with you know with god it it I believe the root of all poverty is found somewhere in brokenness. Jesus rode into Nazareth um, one day, goes into the, the temple, and he opens up the scroll to the book of Isaiah, and he reads it out loud. And you, you, can, you can read this in Luke 4. And these, this is Jesus that Luke's quoting, um, starting in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight from the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then a couple of verses later, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of these scriptures. He's saying, that's me. I, I, I came to bring good news. I came to set prisoners free. And and, and we need to understand it's Christ that saves people. You know, it's Christ that heals the brokenhearted. It's, it's Christ alone who ever sets anybody free. And the root of poverty, this brokenness, and Jesus is the one who binds up the brokenhearted. When we understand that down at its root, that... that poverty is more than a lack of something material, then we can understand that Jesus <laughs> Jesus is the answer. She's saying amen in baby talk, I could tell. <laughs> so when we know that, that at the root of this, brokenness is not just a material issue, Jesus is the answer. And that changes how we help people. It changes how and what we try to do to help people in need. And I want to say this to you. We are all called to this. Yeah. All of us. Every, every follower of Christ is called somehow to empower the poor. We're called to. We're called to it. This church is called to it. So how do we live this out? You know, What do we do? What do we do when there's a guy on the street corner and he needs money? What do you do when you encounter somebody who, who needs a place to stay? What do you do when, when somebody in your small group or your closest friend loses their job? What do you do when you Hear about or see something that says that, hey, we have this major problem, and for 23 cents a day, we can get this village clean water, or we can, you know, um, cheaply buy mosquito nets and vaccines. And what do you do when you're overwhelmed with th- this imagery of, of need? How do we help in a way that doesn't hurt? Okay, so I'm going to give you three simple thoughts come, that come out of Scripture about how um, I think. With Jesus' help, we can get this right, okay? Number one, three understandings. One, we are called to serve others, not save others. That feels like weight coming off of me. I don't know about you. And it's really important that we do not confuse our role in this, okay? I mean, it, it, it's, it's actually insulting and dangerous to think you can save anybody. It is. I mean... We are not the answer. Jesus is the answer here. And we are the servants. We shouldn't miss this. Jesus is the answer. We are the servants. Jesus is the power. And, and sometimes we get to be the conduit of what he's going to do. That could mean he flows resources through you or faith through you or hope through you or sewing through you or cooking through you or he could He could use you as a conduit. But Jesus is the answer here, not you and me. How does he want us to serve if we're going to serve people? I'm going to break that down into two ways that are very practical for us to serve. Um, one is going to be offering relief, and the other one is, 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 how to, is restoration, and we'll talk about that. Relief and restoration, and they're different. Um, they're both very, very important. So what's relief? Relief is immediate, temporary help during and after a crisis. Okay, we're going to call relief something that you do right now. It's like, we're going to stop the bleeding here. We're going to stop the hemorrhaging. We're going to stop this pain as best as we can. This is not a forever solution to the problem. This is what we're going to do is we're going to provide relief right here, right now. It's like, you know, a tornado blows through a village, you know, or a town or um, a hurricane hits or an earthquake crushes. You, you get, get some water in there and some plywood and some bandages and some spam. <laughs> or not spam. You know, in your world, it could be somebody loses a job a very close relative or a friend finds out they have stage four cancer. Or, you know, somebody you know got in a terrible car accident and they're in the hospital and they're hanging on by a thread. You know, relief, it's immediate temporary help. It's the meals going over. It's the watching the children so that the wife and the husband, it's, it's so, it's, it's, it's whatever the circumstances are. And you know what? I can tell you this. Um, sometimes... It's nothing more than your presence. Elisa and I spent some time yesterday with a family that are very near and dear to us and I've mentioned it to you vaguely before in conversations who um, are facing a terrible, terrible, hopeless um, medical situation and you know, we didn't walk into that setting yesterday with any cures, we didn't walk in there with millions of dollars to pay medical bills All we walked in there with was faith and a smile and love and hope and our presence. And I'm telling you what, it makes a difference. Sometimes that's all it takes. It's temporary and immediate help during and after a crisis. Um, Restoration accomplishes something a little bit different. Restoration is a long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness. Okay, That's different than what you do all of a sudden. It's it's more long-term. And this is what the Good Samaritan did, we talked about in the first week of this series. Um, you know, when, when he came upon this Jewish man that had been beaten and was going to die from his wounds, and he, you know, first thing he did was he, he gave, gave the guy relief. He put some oil on his wounds and he bandaged him up and um, took care of him. He offered immediate relief. Um, you know, let me see what I can do to help you survive. And then he switched over into restoration. He puts the guy on his donkey, takes him to a bed and breakfast, and says, pay. Uh, here's, here's, here's the rent. Take care of him. I'm going to go take care of some other business. I'll be back. And if I owe you more money, let's get this guy back on his feet. <laughs> relief and restoration. And it's about, you know, why would he do that? Because he wanted to help rebuild this guy's life. I'll provide re- relief and restoration. Now, I'm going to just divert for a second and talk about money because a lot of you are thinking, well, this is about money. And in in some manner, it is. I mean, um, we believe the word of God teaches us that the tithe is the first 10% of what the Lord gives to us, and it belongs to God. And we bring that into the storehouse. And you guys are great at doing that. The word also talks about offerings, which are beyond the tithe. So what do we do with our offerings? Who do we, you know, what do we do with that? And they're different. Um, And I want to encourage you, if you are an offering giver, and you ought to all be I hope you do um, I want to encourage you to start looking at your offerings through the filters of relief and restoration. Is this going to be something that's going to provide relief, or is this going to be providing restoration? And there are a lot of good places to give money that don't do either of those two things. I don't know what they do. I mean they, I mean, they, they seem good on the outside, but do they really make a difference? That's not just temporal. I don't know. Um, And I want to say this. There are a lot of good ministries out there for you to partner with. They are out there. I'm not trying to get you to give your offerings here. It's fine if you do, okay? But I'm just saying to you, there are a lot of them out there. And I'm going to suggest to you that you just do a little bit of research. Study it out, um, you know, so that, when you, when you sense the Lord talking to you about offering and giving away help to somewhere, it's not, it, it's it, it, rather than just giving to the last person to ask or, or, or reacting to an appeal or a cardboard sign, you are strategizing and planning and investing intentionally in being an offering giver where it makes a difference. I mean, you work hard for your money. You want it to make a difference, Right? Make it make a difference, and you can research and find you know, ministries that provide people with long-term help and, and places that will help without hurting. Now, just as a side note, um, some members of our pastoral team are working on this very topic right now, and um, um, I've asked them to kind of study this out, <laughs> and it, it's going to be a while till we have this here, but we will produce for you a, a half sheet or something that says, here are some ministries um, outside these walls. That we've looked at, and we really believe they make a difference in terms of relief and restoration. If you're interested, because maybe it's easier for a couple of us to study this out and make it available, we're not pushing you to do this, but we want to make that available. So that's at some point we'll make that available to you. It's in process. But here's what I just suggest: you don't wait for something to come to you; that you strategize and you plan, and you think and you pray. So we're we're called to serve others, not save others. Jesus saves; we serve. That's number one. Number two. We're called to relate with people, not rescue people. And this is really important. We're called to relate with them, to love them, and to care for them. And this, this may be a really hard thing, but it's really important that we get a hold of this. We have to understand that people who are struggling are not projects we handle. They are people people to love. They're not projects that we help. They're people that we love. There, there may be a time... When your circumstances has you being the place that you're in need, there may come a time you know where i 'm facing something and I could really use some help i don't want to be your project. <laughs> it's not a pride thing. I want to be someone that you love and care about. people this that, 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 that we're going to help they're not projects they are people to love and um Now, that can be a tightrope. I'll give you a couple of examples um, of times. I hesitate to share these examples because I don't want to come across looking like I'm some sort of hero. But I'm going to tell you a couple of times where this came out correctly. There were a couple of people. These are different people at different times. One of them um, was called to ministry and absolutely gifted, absolutely called, but he felt less than all the time. He felt terrible. What's going on? Why do you feel this way about yourself? Well, I, I don't have an education. I dropped out of high school, eighth grade, never got anywhere. Don't you think the Lord has called you? And, you know, okay, so you can't factor polynomial equations. So what? Is that even such a thing? I don't know. Math teachers, don't laugh at me, okay? I'm just trying up here, all right? Um, you know, who cares? Have you learned the, you know, but he felt less than. What's going to make you feel better? He says, "I I should. I can't go back to school, but I can at least get my GED." I said, "Okay," and I worked with this guy, and we sat down and we studied stuff together, and we got him ready. And he took the test and he passed it. Where it was that's that's a restoration, not the relief. It was an investment of time, and it wasn't that big a deal. Here's another guy um, called the ministry and felt like. He should become a licensed pastor. And I agreed. He had a cause of life and he needed to be able to, you know, whatever it would be, um, do weddings. and It was important to him. Okay, it's important to you. It's important to me. It's something you want to do. I can't do this for you. I'll do it with you. And problem, what's the problem? Dyslexia. He struggled reading the material and filling out the forms and answering the questions. A simple and there's nothing to be ashamed of, but he couldn't get there from here. I said, "I will read it to you. We'll meet every week, and we'll spend two hours. And I will read, and I will, you, you, I will do this with you." And we went through the process. And he got, I mean, there are times that that's what ministering to the needy is—you give them what you can, your time. They're not projects that you handle; they're people that you love. And it happened because I had built relationship with these people, and I love them. And I care about them. And I'll tell you right now this day, these two guys are both full-time ministry, pastoring. I love that. I forget that I was involved in some small way with them. And I'm telling you, I take no credit for this. I really don't. I'm just excited to see, hey, I get to be along with the ride for something in there somewhere. Because I've had people do that with me. It's mostly not things like, um, I couldn't fill out the form. It's mostly things like, hey, Terry, I'm going to give you a spiritual Dutch rub <laughs> and we're going to rub until your heart gets a little better at this and, and that's important too that you have people that will do that with you especially a goat like me. <laughs> oh boy. You know, there's more truth to that. I have a, I have a strong will. And if you know me really closely, there could be times where if you unscrewed my head and you looked, there'd be a stainless steel rod going down my neck and 83 feet into the earth. And if I don't want to move, it is not moving. And that doesn't always make God happy. Sometimes he uses it, and sometimes it's not good. <laughs> and I'm glad that there have been multiple times in my life where I have been someone that somebody else loved, not their project. And, um, you know, so as we get to know people and we get to hear what's in their heart and we start to thinking about what it is that's between them and their dreams, we get to know what it is that, um, you know, and we can ask them questions. What is it that you want to accomplish? You know, what do you need? And, I'm, and I want to partner with you in doing that. And here's the distinction. I need to say this. You need to understand this comes from a place of love and I really believe the truth about this. We don't want to. In fact, we shouldn't. In fact, we won't do for someone else what they can do for themselves. There's good reasons for that. And you'll find that concept woven all throughout God's word. Um, It comes across so unlovingly when you just read a verse that says, if a man will not work, he will not eat. Okay? Because rule keepers love that one, you know, But there's something woven through there that God is saying, you know, when you do something for someone else that they can do for themselves, you're not always doing them a favor. That's not always love. And, um, you know, so we just, we ought not to do for someone else what they can do for themselves. And parents, get a hold of that concept. This is off topic. But don't do for your kids things that they can do for themselves, they will never grow. They will. Grow entitled is what they will grow. If you always do for them what they can do for themselves. Um, I mean, I understand that a four-year-old has to have certain kinds of helps, okay? I'm not talking about that. So we're going to help them accomplish what they want to do. And as they accomplish it, they're going to grow in their dignity and in their pride and in their sense of forward motion of where they're going in their life. Those who are struggling are not projects that we help. They're people that we love. We're called to serve others, not save others, relate with people, not rescue them. Number three, we're called to reach out, not reach down. Not reach down. We're, we, we never ever reach down. We, and we reach out because we care. We're never we're never ever reaching out because we're better than somebody. That's terrible. That's prideful. It's arrogant. It's have nothing to do with those things. We're reaching out, you know, and, and when we reach out, there needs to be an admission in your own soul. You know, hey, I, I'm poor too. I'm broken too here. There's... I'm not the hero. I don't have all the answers. I, I'm just simply reaching out because I love you. And I care about you as a person. Um, I don't know if you know TED Talks. TED is, you know, these different people who are experts. And for 10 or 15 minutes, you can hear experts on all kinds of topics. And I like to listen to TED topics. Um, you can. I'm not pushing you, but they're kind of interesting. Well, there is a person that I have enjoyed listening to. Her name is Brene Brown. And... Um, she one of her talks is one of the top 5 of all time that's had listeners on YouTube and here's something that she said. We've both we've divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help. The truth is we are both. I love that because we are both. You know, we offer help and we need help because we're poor too. And that's how you love your neighbor. We never swoop in as heroes you know, reaching down. We always, you know, we always, brothers and sisters, you fellow brothers and sisters, we're always reaching out, not down. Because we love and we care. And when you take what you have, you know, your time, your financial resources, your, your heart, your, your, your talent, and you reach out to someone who is in need, you're doing, you know, when you give to other people, an awful lot of times you're going to get more than you've given away. i just tell you that. There's an economy that's spiritual. That's how we neighbor. We love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our body and we love our neighbors as ourselves and Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me too. Let's pray. God, um, help us get this right. Help us to Lord get this right. It's such a challenge for our hearts and we tend many times to look at need And then we get into this comparison where we think, well, I have needs too or I don't have enough resource to make a difference or we start doing this calculation, God, that says uh, what we can't do rather than what we can do. Lord, fill us with enough faith to see what you can do through us instead of what we can do by ourselves. Lord, I wanna talk to you about two things, um, about people in need in this room. God, if there are any people that heard these words today and their own circumstances have made this, these words bruise their hearts then forgive me for that Lord but I pray Lord that something of your hope your plans for their tomorrows the way you think about them according to Jeremiah 29 11 about their future and their hope not their calamity would somehow overwhelm any sense of hopelessness any sense of shame any sense of fear any sense of no way out And that, Lord, you would order their steps because you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, and the second group, those of us that, this is actually all of us, that you can use to care for those in need, show us, Lord, how to be faith-filled. Show us how to be obedient. Show us how to be wise. Show us how to see what you need for us to see. And, Lord, show us how to honor you with a righteous heart. I pray these things in Jesus' name.